Hello, welcome to the first episode of Interfilm Recommends, the Interfilm podcast brought to you by the programming team. My name is Michael and I'm joined by my colleague Joe. The format is very simple. Every week we'll alternate between a primary themed and a secondary themed show, discussing a new on DVD title, related film, plus three more films from a relevant film list. This week our featured film is Star Wars The Force Awakens. We'll also be talking about Super 8 from 2011. And our film list this week is Space. Highlighted films are Contact, Interstellar and Moon. So to kick things off we've got Joe. We'll talk all about Star Wars The Force Awakens. The big new DVD release this week is, of course, Star Wars The Force Awakens, which is episode 7 in the Long Running Saga. Thought it was a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. A magical power holding together good and evil, the dark side and the light. Crazy thing is... It's true. It's set 30 years after the events of Return of the Jedi. Very much sees the series going back to its roots following the prequels which were released around about the turn of the century, which were fairly lukewarmly received, it's probably fair to say. But whatever they did with this film has obviously worked because it's become the most successful film of all time at the UK box office and been garlanded with numerous awards, including and probably most importantly, Family Film of the Year at the Interfilm Awards, no less. It's directed by J.J. Abrams, who previously directed Star Trek and brought that franchise back to life. He was um, actually quite reluctant to return to another space saga in the wake of that success, but I think the lure of Star Wars was just a bit too appealing for him to resist. In terms of age ratings, the BBSC have classified it as a 12 certificate, and we put our own age rating of 11 plus on there. Now that's because the film does have some moderate violence. It's obviously fairly fantastical in nature, but we think it's kind of sufficiently graphic and perilous to warrant a slightly older age rating. Now we know lots of young people will be wanting to see it and desperate to see it and they perhaps already have done at the cinema but as always we recommend if you have the time try and watch the film beforehand and make your own judgment about its suitability. Please don't hesitate to get in touch with us and we'll be happy to help you with any questions you have. So many people will have uh, heard about Star Wars and perhaps watched it. Why is it relevant for film clubs and what can secondary age students get out of this film? I think Star Wars itself is such a juggernaut in popular culture and the popular imagination and has been for so long now. That in itself makes it interesting and worthy of discussing. What's really fascinating about this film is how it's mixed the old and the new, both in terms of the characters and the storyline, but also in terms of how it pleases fans, those who have grown up with the older films and younger audiences who may be coming to them for the first time. So we have lots of new faces to the series. They're led by Ray, who's a desert scavenger, and Finn, who's a disaffected stormtrooper, as well as a very dastardly new villain named Kylo Ren and star pilot named Poe Dameron. What's great is how they are given the time to really establish themselves and establish the mood of the film on their own terms before the franchise being brings back in the Han Solos and the Princess Leias and the Luke Skywalkers. And I think that's really cleverly done. It's also worth saying that the Star Wars series has earned a lot of plaudits for the diversity of its casting. And I think a lot of blockbusters could learn from that. And it's done in a very positive way. We've done a blog, actually, which examines some of the influences on the saga and talks 
about the effect that Star Wars has had on the world of film more generally, not just in terms of the types of films we see and the legacy it's had in that respect, but also in how we experience film. The impact that Star Wars has had on sound, for example, or even on the establishment of multiplex cinemas themselves. They really weren't around before Star Wars, and it was off the back of that success that cinema chains were able to build these multiplexes and design more and more entertainment geared towards family audiences, which wasn't really the case before Star Wars. What the blog also does is goes into some of the science and technology behind the saga. So it's also great to talk about some of the implausibilities of the science in the saga. How can they breathe on numerous planets which all seem to have hospitable climates? How can lightsabers cut through light? All sorts of things like this open up areas in science that are great discussion points for young people. As well as the science and technology, there's also obviously the mythology around the story. We've just done a film guide for The Force Awakens which examines this a bit more, draws out questions about notions of good and evil, particularly around the new character of Kylo Ren, who's a fairly complex villain. He's not just a bad guy. There's also the music. Obviously, everyone knows the famous John Williams score, but why is that so impactful? Why has it become so iconic? How is it used in this new film? How have they used new music to incorporate that as well? What sorts of music are associated with particular characters? As well as the media studies element itself, the whole enormous culture that surrounds Star Wars, how has it been marketed? There is obviously a lot of fuss at the time with the film's release around spoilers and We've deliberately avoided saying anything about the plot of this film. But all of these kinds of things are relatively new to the culture of film and film conversation. And it's fascinating, I think, to talk with young people about the impact that this sorts of culture has on their film experience. Finally, is Star Wars a good thing for film? Are the messages it's conveying positive? Is it too successful? What is its impact on other films a negative thing? Has it reduced the quality of storytelling or the imagination of other storytellers? Star Wars isn't going anywhere. It's not going away. It's going to be around for years to come. We've got Road One coming out at the end of this year, followed by Episode Eight and numerous spin-offs. I think just talk about it and unpack the secrets behind its success a bit more. The next film we're going to look at is Super 8. Super 8 is also directed by J.J. Abrams, and that's the link with Star Wars. And this is a film that came out in 2011. The synopsis is as follows. Uh, when a train crash interrupts a group of teenagers shooting a homemade film, it reveals a larger government conspiracy. The BBFC actually puts this as a 12, citing one use of strong language, moderate threat, and soft drug use. We put it as an 11+. plus. Really, there's very little to offend any secondary audience. J.J. Abrams quite clearly loves sci-fi. We've already talked about Star Wars. We've touched upon Star Trek as well. And here he explores it in a very different way. So this is quite a tender and affectionate coming-of-age story, very much channeling the films of Steven Spielberg. It's drawn very close comparisons with E.T. One of the great things about this film is the score. It's actually one of my very favourite scores. The composer Michael Giacchino, if that's how you pronounce it, gives it a really recognisable quality, uh, this identity but at the same time it builds to this narrative crescendo and it really lends itself to the film. The track that really stands out is uh, one called Letting Go which is a, a, appears at the climax of the film. This scene relies purely on the visuals at hand combined with our score. There's no real dialogue in it. Guys, come here. What are these things? Shh, no one cares! 
Look around they look you! They like white Rubik's cubes or something. I don't think that's what they are. They're they heavy, don't... like metal or something. Yeah. There's like a billion of them. What's going on? It's gonna be okay, all right? Are you serious? You guys, get up here. You can see everything from up here. Joe! Yeah, I agree. It's a great film. How do you use it in film clubs or in the classroom, though? Firstly, there's the filmmaking angle. What visual style does J.J. Abrams like to employ? What consistencies are there between this film and Star Wars or Star Trek? What other films have influenced this one? And there's also the filmmaking within the film angle, which lends itself to the movie's title itself, Super 8. And this is potentially interesting to explore because that technology is so unfamiliar now to younger audiences. Secondly, there is the friendship idea. This is a film really about friends sticking together through different types of adversity, whether that is the little intricacies of making a film, deciding who will direct, who will act, and so on, or whether it's something as simple as liking the same girl and seeing how their friendship dynamic shifts when she enters the picture, or is it something much larger to do with the government conspiracy? Finally, there is the law and order within the film that you can explore. So to what extent are the actions of the boys and the community at large justified in challenging the government? Are they actually being protected for their own good? Or is something more sinister at hand? So moving on, um, let's talk now about our new space film list. Now, for anybody who doesn't know, our film lists are on the Interfilm website and they are specially curated seasons of films um, by the programming team around particular topics. So this one is space, but we've got loads of others. We've got Shakespeare, we've got spies, we've got LGBT history. We've got a really rich bank of them, and I'd really encourage you to go and have a look at some of the film lists on the site. They're designed for all ages. There's lots of film guides associated with them. We think they're really rich discussion points. This one is all about space. Obviously, there have been many, many films about life in space and on other planets produced throughout film history, and I think it will always be a rich source of imagination for filmmakers there's really a limitless possibility of what you can do with it but to help mark our interfilm space filmmaking competition and also to celebrate achievements of Tim Peake including judging our interfilm space competition no less we've selected some of our favorites again there's primary and secondary titles on the list we just picked out three secondary titles here to talk about and there's stats more information on the website there's resources all sorts of things if you just go onto the interfilm.org and search on the theme pages for space you'll find all you need to know but first up michael is going to talk about contact contact is from 1997 it's rated as a pg by the bbfc but we put it as an 11 plus just because of some of the complexity of the themes lengthy run in time so contact is a timeless masterpiece which sees an astronomer played by geordie foster seek to prove the existence of alien life forms all I'm asking is, is for you to just have the tiniest bit of vision, you know, to, to step back for one minute and look at the big picture, to take a chance on something that just might end up being the most profoundly impactful moment for humanity, for, for the history of history. Now, this film is brilliant for many reasons. Firstly, there are the themes it explores, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a second. 
There are also the visuals. So the director, Robert Zemeckis, is a bit of a pioneer in this regard. So he's created films like Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, and The Polar Express as well. There are also the performances, particularly Jodie Foster. She's brilliant at putting the viewer in her shoes and making you feel that same level of distress or injustice or desire or wherever the feeling might be. Finally, there's the writing. This film actually is based on a book by a renowned astronomer and author, Carl Sagan. And the film uses its running time excellently to take you on a real journey of discovery and self-discovery. So the way this film can be used in a club setting, firstly, there's the religion versus science angle. Now, this maybe doesn't take quite perhaps the expected route. It's not only about the incompatibility of these two disciplines, but also about how maybe they can work together. It's very much a film about belief and the ability to express that in different ways that at first may seem contradictory. Secondly, there's this idea of father-daughter relationships and how much this dominates the film. So Contact is a film very much about family relationships, particularly in terms of grief and loss. And even though Jodie Foster's character is on her own for most of the two and a half hour running time, her father quite clearly has a demonstrable impact and influence over her. And thirdly, there's the gender politics of the film. So Foster's character is treated unfairly by a male-dominated environment, and this is despite her discovery. This really seems like a great discussion point, a great starting point for film clubs. Is this an accurate representation? Has it changed over time? What do your students think about this issue? Now Joe will talk a little bit more about Interstellar. So Interstellar is a 2014 film from Christopher Nolan. It's set in the near future where life on Earth is in jeopardy and suffocating dust storms and failing crops have left a dwindling population very much struggling to feed themselves. In order to help sustain life for future generations, a mission to distant planets has to be planned, and it's up to ex-NASA pilot Cooper, who is played by Matthew McConaughey, to go on that mission, and he's faced with a very difficult choice in the film about his family and his obligations there and seeking a potential for the rest of humanity. It's rated as a 12 certificate, but we've actually gone slightly higher and said a 14 plus. Now that's mainly due to the slightly complex fairly abstract ideas that are raised in the film that we think some younger audiences may struggle to grasp. But if you're confident that the pupils will be able to understand and grapple with that, then by all means show it to them. But do just be aware that there is some strong language in the film and also a little bit of violence as well. There's loads of ways in which you can explore this film. First of all, there's the wow factor, the scale of it, and it really ignites the imagination, I think. It really instills a sense of wonder. It also raises the possibilities of sustaining life on another planet, which I think could be a fun discussion point for young people, not just in terms of its practicalities, but what sort of things might they take along with them if they had 10 objects, say, to take, what would they choose and why? There's also a number of interesting ethical issues raised in the film. For example, at the school in which Cooper's children attend, the textbooks have been censored and they're very much covering up aspects of 20th century history, including the moon landing. And I think that has parallels which you could apply to certain parts of the world today, which will be interesting to talk about with young people. What makes Interstellar so successful, I think, is it does deal with complex ideas and notions of time and memory but it grounds them very much in a story of family. And there's also that Dylan Thomas poem which appears uh, throughout the film as, as a mantra almost. The film makes a lot of use of the Dylan Thomas poem, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. It appears three or four times throughout the film, and I think it's great to then unpack that 
and encourage people to go back and read that poem and explore the themes that that's distressing. Gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end, no dark is right, because their words had fought no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Christopher Nolan himself is obviously an interesting person to discuss. He's very much an auteur. He's one of the most successful filmmakers of the 21st century. It's fascinating to think about how he's using that power to make certain kinds of films and push through ideas and more complicated notions of what it is to be a blockbuster film into his work on the back of the success of films like The Dark Knight. Does his influence allow him to craft more personal films than less powerful directors might be able to do, for example? And finally, there's the scientific accuracy of the film. Now, obviously, it does take some dramatic license, but the film has had a lot of praise for its representation of wormholes and relativity, and that's partly due to the fact that they had Kip Thorne, who's a renowned physicist, on board as a consultant, and he really helps ground the film in scientific reality as much as possible. Once you open up those doors, there's all sorts of ways you can discuss the science and the technology of the film with young people. So the final film of this week's podcast is Moon. Moon is rated 15 by the BBFC, but that's simply for strong language, so we put it at 14 plus on our website. Moon is a quiet, reflective space film, and it looks at the solitude and the loneliness of being so far away from the rest of mankind. It's much more slender in comparison to the other films we've talked about this week. It's only 90 minutes long, and it sees Sam Rockwell's character, also called Sam, on the moon, carrying out a series of tasks on his own. And the reason this is such a good film is because it's clever every step of the way. So firstly, there are a series of narrative twists. We won't talk too much about this, but there's always this feeling of uncertainty in this film lingering away in the background. We're not ever quite sure where it's heading. What's the past and the future of Sam? Why do we see him and him alone? Secondly, there are the film references uh, hidden within Moon. Some of these feelings are brought up largely through the films that Moon nods to, so things like 2001, A Space Odyssey, and the Hal-like robot Gertie, which is keeping Sam company. And finally, there are the performances. So Sam Rockwell, this was his breakthrough performance that elevated him to the next level. He basically carries the film almost entirely on his own. There's also Kevin Spacey who puts in a very fine voice performance as Gertie and we're never quite sure whether he's a friend or a foe to Sam. Finally, the way you might use this film is quite interesting because the over there's an overarching theme of survival, survival in space in this case, but this has many strands. So there's physical health, things like keeping fit, there's mental health, keeping sane, and by the end of the film there's also a very big ethical dilemma which makes itself known. And that's it for our first Interfilm Recommends podcast. Next week, we will be looking at Shakespeare to commemorate the 400th anniversary of his death. And that will be a special show, so we'll be looking at both primary and secondary themed films. There'll be something for everyone in that podcast. The week after, it's back to normal, and we will have a primary themed show, and our highlighted film will be The Good Dinosaur. We'll see you then.